The Writer's Room, a 7th Sea podcast, is endorsed by Chaosium, Inc. For more information, visit www.chaosiuminc forward slash 7th Sea. Ah, hello, friends. Welcome back. Yes, I know. The Writer's Room has gotten a bit of an update. There's more room... There's definitely more seating. And Greg has gotten a full pantry, specifically for tea. He has a whole kitchenette to himself. Some of you may recognize this as a long-awaited episode, as it has been over a month since we've posted. And some of you may not even notice the time skip at all. Life had gotten a bit hectic here for the writer's room, specifically for Greg and I. We had to uproot and move, and so we had to take everything with us. And it took us a little bit to get back on our feet. But we're back, and we're ready. As are my scribes. I shan't delay any longer. Now then. Officer Keith is making sure that all the seating arrangements are correct. Officer Nightingale is helping Gregory by rooting out any dairy that has made its way into the writer's room. You all know better. Officer Covington is passing out the emotional support plushies, should you need them. And Officer V is, yes, thank you for bringing me the book. Yes. I may have put it in a box that was mislabeled. Moving is not always fun. Anyway, where was I? Vote has happened. Jesse's still captain, which is good. Okay, here we are. Something strange is happening with Agnes. Let's check in on that, shall we? <clears throat> Article 32. I Promise. Part 1. The camera dissolves from black as a piece of cloth folds over the lens. It is sitting on a barrel, and we watch as Jesse makes his way across the second deck, passing by Jory's hammock, which is in the center of the two main masts, to reach the berths, where we see Agnes just starting to tear into her cubby, trying desperately to find something hidden within. Jesse, as you approach, Agnes is mumbling to herself and Marcher. He knocks softly, but just enough for Agnes to hear. Hello, dear. I can imagine I'm the last person you want to see right now, but if I may, I wanted to talk. No. No more. Your words, you, you don't understand. <laughs> Agnes is twitching. There are tremors that course through her body like bolts of lightning. She is scrambling, digging in the compartment, shoving aside small trinkets, seashells, a dented cannonball to try and find something that she has buried deep within the compartment. She doesn't look at you, and the only reason she stops her frantic searching is because her body has to spasm in such a violent and erratic way. Say whatever you want, but I won't listen to you. Ugh. Where is it? Agnes, you have always been the most fascinating exception of this crew. I've never known anyone like you before. Your rules and my rules are certainly different from each other, and I misunderstood that and I'm sorry misunderstood misunderstood Agnes whirls on you in 
she's staring up at your face. Her right eye is twitching. Her mouth is pulling into a terrifying grin. Something that you recognize from Mad Maeve. But she's fighting it. It isn't like you got the time wrong or anything. Or that you messed up a date. (laughs) I realize that I cannot offer you the same freedom as others here because of your nature. No. (laughs) You cannot offer me anything anymore. She dives back into her berth, pulls out her coat. Agnes, what can I do to help you? You've done enough. You said that I could go. I'm gonna leave. Down there, step foot on land again. I'll never trust a human again. Agnes's coat flourishes. Her arms are through it, and she makes the motion to bring it up on her shoulders. And there is a terrible sound. It is the sound of fabric being torn apart by great force. Agnes's coat slips off of her and lands in two pieces on the floor. Agnes? And Agnes crumples like her coat, landing hard on her knees, her back leaned up against the bulkhead, her face blank, her eyes brimming with fear and confusion. Agnes's hands are reaching to try and grab her coat, but every time her fingers touch the fabric, they begin to disappear. She cannot touch her coat. She is helpless. Okay, listen to me. And with those drifting weak hands, she grabs yours, puts them on her coat. Take it. Fix it. Please. I don't want to be forgotten. I will. I will fix it. I promise. Jesse, with your hands on Agnes's coat, and with the words, I promise, you are all of a sudden transported to somewhere entirely new. You see a beach, rolling waves, seagulls cry overhead, a woman in a beautiful white dress with gorgeous red hair is walking into the surf. She looks back at you and smiles sadly, for she is lost to the waves. And Agnes is looking at you. And when you look into her eyes, you don't see your reflection. You don't see the reflection of the ship. You see the deep blue, unbound sea. Do you take Agnes's coat? Of course. Very carefully. The moment that you take Agnes's coat and hold it in your hands, she becomes catatonic. There is a sheen that glazes over her eyes muting any color. Her breathing shallows, and she lays there as motionless as a marionette, without any life to her, because you're holding it in your hands. Jesse stands up with it draped over his arm. I'm going to make this comfier than it ever was before. Agnes says nothing. There is no response. Not of her own will, at least. And then you get another brief memory of how... Mad Maeve was acting in Reese's presence. There's just such an absoluteness about it. And then you realize Reese must have something of Audra's. In a sense, Reese might have Audra's coat. Turns to look at her before leaving. 
Trust me that I will help you become whole again. And he walks out and heads immediately to his quarters. The camera hasn't left that spot on the barrel, and now, with more purpose and determination, you holding the coat close to you, you walk past the camera again, and it goes black with the tips of your coat running across the lens. We transition into the decks of the Nightingale. Charles has been in talks with the previous captain, Connor Evenwood. They had parlayed before all of this, and so he's been tied up kind of doing that for a while. Every once in a while, you can hear Charles's raised voice. That tracks. <laughs> you also hear Connor's raised voice as well. Now, the Nightingale runs a lot slower because of all of the metal on the front of the ship. So you guys went ahead of the Rose. I think we've left, but we're not at a full clip. Okay. For Charles's mental health, we've put some distance between us and the Rose, which there was definitely some hesitancy and some arguments about, but we kind of came to the conclusion that this is for the best, but we've slowed down to a point where the Rose could easily catch up. Wayland, where are you? Wayland's at the bow, just feeling how good it is to be back on his ship. That huge wave of nostalgia just crashing over him. Waylon helped oversee its construction, even helped build it to a degree. Helped hammer in some of these planks. Helped shape some of these railings. His handiwork is all over this ship, and running his hand across the wood, it's like coming home. This is also a ship that back when he had the ability to, he has subsumed. He was one with this vessel on several occasions. It's more than just a ship to him. It is, oddly enough, now that it is no longer a living creature under Agwe's control, he can still feel it breathing. Having that feeling of, it's home, but it's changed. Hello, old girl. It's good to see you again. You hear someone coming up to you from behind, and they stand not behind you, but like adjacent. You would have to turn your head to focus on them. And out of the corner of your eye, you see Clarice. And she is standing at ease, hands behind her back, feet slightly apart, staring out at the ocean. You know, I wondered which one of you it would be. I wonder who'd realize first. But then, of course, it was you. You're always so sharp. So incredibly talented. Potentially one of the smartest people I've ever met. And I thought on, at least so far as mechanical interests go, that my intelligence was on par with yours. But clearly I was dreadfully mistaken. I am so much more the fool. Wayland's still looking out at the ocean, tracing his hands along the railing. And his gait is very much proper, but not confident, not proud. An aura of defeat and shame and acceptance of those feelings. I'm sorry, Clarice. Sorry for what? Wayland turns around and looks at her. Oh, you meet her gaze and it's as icy as what Jonah called hours ago. It is cold enough to freeze the sea. Be specific now. 
I'm sorry for abandoning you. For abandoning all of you. I'm sorry for my brashness. For giving into my pride and my anger. <sighs> for being blind. I'm sorry for not being there when you needed me. I'm sorry for not seeing what was so obviously in front of my face. I'm sorry for not coming back. For not seeking you all out the moment that I knew I was alive. And it was a while there where I wasn't sure. It all felt very much like a dream. A nightmare for a while. But I should have come after you. I'm sorry for failing. I was your captain and I let you down. I was your friend, and I let you down. Is that all? For now, yes. I just want to be sure before I start to speak. Clarice looks down at her hands as she pulls them out from behind her back and mimes as if she's trying to grasp something. No amount of sorries will make it tangible. No amount of apologizing will make what you did okay. When you died, and the bulwarks sank. There was no captaincy for us. We laid harbored at Fort Freedom, waiting for some sign, something, anything. And that's when Audra came back. Audra came back to us so broken and destitute that she wasn't even the same person. We got halfway out to sea to go back to Avalon when Audra turned on us, we had to put her in a rowboat and let her out to sea just so that we could save our sanities. She was so unraveled that we couldn't reach her. Do you know how much that hurt me? Having to watch her. Clarice stops, bites her lip, sucks in the tears that she was about to let fall and burns them on fire in her eyes. And then we were captured by the ATC, and it was either join them or die. Now our mission was not yet compromised, and so we continued to do what we could while under the banner of the ATC. But our hands were tied. We couldn't get word out to Avalon, to the Sea Dogs, no one. We were trapped. And some of us thought that maybe perhaps hanging in the gallows or rotting in a Fort Freedom prison would have been better. And then I made a deal. Now when she wakes up, I imagine I will be at her mercy and you know what? I deserve it because those were my actions and I'm not going to deny it, nor am I going to deny her anything that she does to me when she wakes up. I am responsible for my actions, just as you are responsible for yours. You're right. Now I can say I didn't mean it. I can tell you that I had the best of intentions. That I thought I was doing right by all of you. By our country. By Queen Elaine. And all of that would be true. But it does not change the fact that what I didn't do was unforgivable. The others might forgive you. And they might forget, but I can't, and I won't. Nor should you. I understand. And Waylon looks at his hands. I've seen Audra. Her expression cracks just a slight bit. You see a flicker of genuine concern in her eyes. Her lip quivers. 
Have you said sorry to her, too? I have. And what good did it do you? About as much good as it's doing now. And? She's in a bad way, Clarice. But when I first saw her again, we met at the Bucket of Blood by chance. Nothing happens by chance. And I'm beginning to think you're right. But that first time I saw her, I still saw her there. Audra, not... The madness. I. The unmaking. I. You know that they can't fix that themselves. I'm aware. Wayland seriously considers telling Clarice that the Crimson Fleet has her. Telling her about who Audra's been working with. And bites their tongue. And says nothing. It wasn't you who had made her. And it's not you who can make her whole again. That's me. That's my job. And that's what I'm going to do. Clarice walks directly up to you and gets face to face with you. Then you better get to it. Because every day that she is unraveling is a day closer that we all forget. Yes, ma'am. She turns on her heel and goes to walk away. What were the terms of your deal, Clarice? She stops. One for one. Specifics, if you would. Before she turns away, she smirks. And you remember that smirk from when she was giving you a fact, but also being a smartass about it? Mm Mm-hmm. I want the wording. I want the exact wording of the fucking deal, Clarice. I need to find the loophole, for fuck's sake. For you and I, our lives are one. While you rest, I will become. When you wake, I'll be undone. So would it be. Fuck you. Fuck you, Clarice, for being so goddamn specific. Yep. Fuck. She knows what she did. There's no <laughs> vagueness. There's no... There's no chance for error, and that is both a blessing on the she side, so that she can't fuck with her, but also a curse for anyone trying to undo it or find loopholes to save them. And as Clarice walks along the deck, past a barrel that's housing the camera, her coat flips up, and covers the lens, and we transition into the writer's room. All right, so what what approach we got? Uh, I think I'm going finesse and empathy. Okay. I got to do this right, and I got to do this first time. Yep. And I got to do it for her. I absolutely understand that. Take two for flair. Three for finesse. One for empathy. It's four to flare. I will absolutely accept sea legs. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Mm -hmm. You are on the ship and you're doing delicate work. Even though the ship is at harbor and rest, you are still rocking. I do have an automatic raise because of Rose. Yes. And I think I'm going to drain the luck pool. Okay. I don't think Wayland's getting risky. I can't use it. I'm not on the ship. Wayland cannot use it. He's not on the ship. Get fucked. <laughs> Get fucked. <laughs> these, are, these are mine, punk. Good. So you're taking all of the luckable dice. That's five? I got 12 dice and one raise. Awesome. How many hero points you got? I had two at the end of last session. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you still have two. Would you like to spend hero points to help yourself? Can Wayland help me? Yes, Wayland can help. Oh, wait. Really? Yeah. I can? This is She Matters, buddy. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to help you on this. Great. Also, Jesse, you have four raises remaining from the previous risk. Yeah, this is a different risk. Though. Yeah, I know. Does it carry over? 
I was going to allow it to carry over, considering it's still part of the crew. Or you can take it as four dice and try your luck. Ooh, interesting. Just for the sake of stability, the like, I'm going to keep them as four races. Fantastic. Okay. How many hero points can I spend to help him? Only one. Okay. You can only accept help from one other person. Tis fair. How's Waylon helping me? What do you think? In discussions about Mad Maeve, Audra, Waylon's gone over a little bit about how unmaking works. The process of it. It's different for Audra, obviously, because she's not a Selkie, but the effect is similar. And there are theories on reversing it. Metaphorically similar to undoing a bad stitch and restitching it, which is very literally what's happening here. <laughs> yep. I like the the other half of the, the way that Wayland helps him is that Jesse remembers like how shitty Wayland was at first, and he's like, "Oh, I'm not gonna do any of that shit." Cool boy, thank you for reminding me about how bad you were. <laughs> I love you, but stick to guns, please. <laughs> That's a hundred percent it. That's a hundred percent it. <laughs> yeah, no, stick to your day job. Not your forte. <laughs> oh boy, this is not your forte. <laughs> you know what? We'll work on your hobbies on the side, okay? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, take three extra dice. Now, the risk is called a promise kept is a soul saved. A broken promise is a soul depraved. If you'll remember, Shade said that to Wayland. Definitely don't remember that. I got bad memory. Agnes is deeply hurt by Jesse's devil reveal. She's been deceived, betrayed, and made a fool among Fae for trusting humans. And what's worse is that she is unmade by Jesse's declaration that, that anyone can leave the ship despite the chart. In layman's terms, her fey magic and the charter magic are clashing together, literally and figuratively and metaphorically tearing Agnes apart. The consequence to this is that Agnes will be unmade by this, and she will be as crazy as Mad Maeve until she vanishes entirely. And everyone who is capable of thought forgets that Agnes existed. In order to avoid the consequence, you're going to have to mend some of those strands, both figuratively and literally. The first strand is Agnes's name. Now, her true name, Angora Makun, is on the Charter, which gives the Charter power over her. The second strand is the order that Jesse gave her. By any means necessary, make yourself comfortable, but do not go far from me. Do not go far from the Rose. That order is law to Agnes. She cannot disobey. And the third strand is the promise. I promise to keep you safe as long as I am captain of this ship. Now, this was broken by accident because of the Jonah situation. When Jonah inhabited Jesse's body and started to attack Rose members, that's when the promise was broken. Because Fae Magic doesn't give a fuck about circumstance. Well, he couldn't attack Rose members. But her safety was at risk. Was it technically even though that Jonah has to abide by the charter? He froze the fucking ocean. He could have set the ship on fire. Jonah doesn't have to physically kill anybody for that to be broken. Those are the three things that you'll have to mend. And they do not have a raise cost to them yet. Now there are opportunities to be had during this risk. The charter is a big opportunity. If you spend raises towards this, 
it will reveal current plot threads involving Reese because you're dealing with the intricacies of the magics right now. And then there's Shade. Jesse, you still have five favor from Shade. Summoning them costs a raise and a hero point, and you can cash in your favor with them, whatever that favor might be. So that is what we've got. How many raises in your pool now? 15? Dice. 15 dice and five automatic raises so far. All right. So not 15 raises. Oh, I'm going to spend a danger point. I have to roll 15s? Yes. Got to make 15s. Because not only are you dealing with some intricate bullshit, Agnes's life is in your hands. Yep. Everybody say goodbye to Agnes. I say goodbye to Agnes. <laughs> no. Bye, little girls. No, no, no. <laughs> you already have five raises, so that's good. And if you roll perfectly, you should have five more. <laughs> I don't like the way you said that. All right, roll the bones. Oh, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> All right, this isn't, uh, this isn't as bad as I thought at first. What's the verdict? I got seven more races. Oh! With no remainders. That's insane. Ah, fuck you. <laughs> I got five and a ten, five and a ten, eight and seven, nine and nine. Seven, five, and four, six, and nine, and seven, and ten. So that is seven on top of the five? So 13 total. Great, because I can't fucking count. Surprisingly, I can. You're both wrong. 12. Neither can I! Great. <laughs> so how does it begin? Paint me a picture. Immediately off the bat, I am going to spend a hero point for part of the ship, part of the crew. The camera is down by the gun ports and like slowly pans over to Jory and it stops. He's got a rag and big toothbrush, essentially. He's scrubbing down the cannons as best he can, humming an inish tune to himself. And just like a Saturday morning cartoon, an arm reaches past the camera, grabs his collar, and pulls him out of frame. Quick! <laughs> oh my god that was brilliant and we find ourselves in jesse's captain's quarters and he has all of the materials lined up and the coat is like laid out on his big fuck off table i need your eyes okay yeah of course i'll help you with whatever you want and looks down at the table (gasps) yep Inside thoughts, Jory. Yeah? Okay. All right. Okay. The strands were five raises each to fix. They are now three each. Now, I don't want you to just dump nine raises and just fix all of them. There's going to be a little bit of a cap. Spend them in successions of three. All right. Well, let's get started. Spend the first three... Slip it through his mother's needle. Oh, damn. Your mom's needle? Mama's needle. And he finds a, a silvery thread. Perhaps a silver lining, if you will. And I won't. Uh, all right. <clears throat> That's fine. I will. Fuck you. <laughs> Ever so gently. puts it through. Starts the process. Okay. What strand are you mending? 
Strand number one. Strand number one. The first one, her name. Okay. As you're sewing, you begin the process of stitching. You get those flickers of memory. They're very, very hazy. Only thing you can see are vague shapes. Hear vague muffled noises. And these vague noises are the sound of the ocean, but you're hearing it as if you're listening in a seashell. Of course. As well as distant cries of seagulls, just interspersed in there, and a smiling face. That same smiling face that you saw before, the long red curly hair, and you hear a male voice pridefully and happily say, Angora Makun, Angora Makun, Angora Makun. And on the third iteration, as you're stitching, you feel the weight of that name, almost as if your mother's needle has gotten twice as heavy. Jory is right there, and what he's doing to help you is to hold the seam together so that you don't have to mess with it as much. And every once in a while, he'll flatten it out just so you're not hitting too much. And Jory looks up at you and says, You doing all right, Kevin? Yeah, yeah, uh, everything is totally fine. Everything's great. Everything's wonderful. I'm having a great time. How are you doing? About the same. And he takes out a rag. It's dirty, unfortunately, but he dabs at the sweat on your forehead. Oh, I hate this. I'm, I'm sorry. I have... There's one on my bed. Never mind. Fuck. Sorry, sorry. <sighs> As Jory brushes the sweat off of his own brow, he returns the raggedy cloth back into his pocket and keeps his hands where the seam is. And he begins to hum to himself. And eventually that hum turns into a song. He can't seem to stop himself. As he is idly singing to the coat. And therefore singing to Agnes. In my dreams I am wed to a faraway lass, a love that has ne'er been. She is all that I know, she is all that is home. I'm bound to love a she. Maybe soon I'll be wed to my bonniest lass. I'll bind my hand with hers. She is blood of my blood and bone of my bone. And I'm bound to air love her. Your needle hits something. Oh shit, did I stab myself? Nope, you didn't stab yourself. Okay, not yet. And you open the stitch out to undo that bit just so you can fix it and you pull out a tiny piece of parchment and on that parchment is the bottom curl of the R that you wrote for the rose. It is a representation of the charter and as you pull it out there appears to be fibers attached to the coat woven in at the seam. God, I hate this. Great. That's excellent. Hey, how about we spend another three raises, everybody? Okay. On what part this time? Oh, God. What comes after one, everybody? <laughs> Number two. Number two. <laughs> how do you go around that? Because that is a problem. Yeah. Show me. 
So does it look like it was connected and then was ripped off? Yeah. All right. Oh, this feels weird for him, but he will pierce it and continue just as if it were like a tag. Why does it feel weird for Jesse? feels like a cardinal sin to tamper with a charter, regardless of its validity. Mm. Physically changing and altering a charter is like bad luck. It's just universally understood that you just don't do it. And maybe instead of sewing it into the seam, he just sews it on just off of the seam separately. So it's not in the binding of the coat. It is not structurally imperative. It is a decorative detail. Yeah. Okay. As opposed to like a patch. So if anything were to happen, that can be released with no damage to the structure. So the charter no longer has full and total power over Agnes. Yeah. Love it. Okay. When you pierce it, you get another deeper memory, more vivid, a lot more detail. And that memory is of that same kind of ocean scene. It's the sound of the ocean, the cries of the seagulls, except this time there's muted cannon fire and sounds of warfare. There's a ship battle going on and your view is obscured by something dripping in front of your eyes, something dark. And in front of you is a man. And this man also has flaming red hair and those deep, deep, vibrant green eyes that Agnes does. And he grabs you roughly, gets in your face, and you see vivid detail. You see the scraggly beard full of soot. You see the blood smear across his face, furrowed eyebrows, the shorn, very close-cut red hair. And they're wearing some kind of captain's coat. You can see the details on the shoulders. I order you to take it down, plank by plank, all souls aboard, leave none alive. And you feel this permanence. As that order was stated, there is no way that you can disobey that. It's so absolute that you have no choice but to carry it out. And so you do. You watch as a ship sinks in modeled images, brief glimpses of a ship beginning to sink, pieces torn apart, someone drowning, reaching for help, blood, and then nothing. You're back in the moment. As soon as that fades, his mind immediately wanders back to the cave on Lunara. Oh, with the Fate Witch. Yep, he sees Villanova's roadie-ass fucking hands. Stitching that shit at the charter. Did you change the order at all? Of what? Your order, in your own words, was by any means necessary, make yourself comfortable, but do not go far from me. Do not go far from the rose. The problem being that she cannot go far from you or the rose. You'd probably change it to do whatever you need to be true to yourself. It's good shit. (laughs) Oh. Oh, we love that. It's good. So... Do you hear that? That's the sound of another three raises being spent. Oh, boy. Okay. I promised that I would fix it up, and that is exactly what I'm doing. Okay. As you are nearing the end of the stitch, as you're going backwards, it's getting more difficult because you're doubling back on your own thread, and you get another vision, and this one is the most vivid 
the most clear. Again, the ocean, the beach, the seagulls, the waves. And you hear a woman say a promise. And that promise is a big one. But I also just don't want to railroad it. Let's writers room this. Yeah, let's go for it. Sure. Okay, let me do that. So there was a promise made to Agnes way, 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 way back when. Her mother to her. What was that promise? Was it a promise that was broken or was it kept? It was kept. It's so far been kept. It has so far been kept. Hmm. Now we know that Agnes's dad is a fucking asshole. Yeah. Well, we kind of knew her dad was an asshole, didn't we? Yep. Now, for storyteller's sake, I revealed in the first image that... It was a proud dad. Oh my God, I'm so happy. I'm going to name my daughter. This is great. This is amazing. And then in the second image, something has gone horribly wrong. Perhaps the power went to his head, as power tends to corrupt. Saw his daughter as a weapon. Saw his daughter as a weapon instead of a human. Now in Selkie lore, in the game, they are raised as human children until the mother leaves them their coat. So the coat is passed down from parent to child so that image of that woman walking into the sea was when the coat was passed down right and so her mother must have made her a promise so i want to know what you guys thought the promise was that is a fucking damn good question and this also world builds too not only does this allow us to figure out what's going on with agnes it allows us to actually like build the lore on selkies themselves okay Well, if it's world building, then I feel like this promise should have something to do with like a deep ancestor. Like this is maybe a promise that all mothers make to their children when leaving them behind. Ooh, okay. This should carry weight outside of Agnes. Mm, Yes, I agree with that. What if there's a failsafe? You know, when the coat unravels, And when, like, the last stitch unravels, maybe some, like, last-ditch effort, like a mother's life is given for the child's, but that does I don't know. So, like, something happens to that particular coat, then that line of ancestry is not cursed, in a way. I'm sort of thinking something triggers where the ancestors that have held that coat will... Intervene and, like, step in. And seek to right the wrong at the expense of the person responsible for the unraveling. Oh, those past become like a mantle. Yeah. Should anything happen to your coat, know that those who came before will seek to assure that you continue after. I don't know why I think of it maybe as like they act as like a temporary coat. Mm. But it's literally with like a single purpose. And that is like survive. Yeah. Ancestral duct tape, but then after that, the entire ancestry is unmade. Yeah. Almost like the Avatar cycle. Yeah. That's the failsafe. If you are in great danger, the Avatar form activates. And so maybe, I mean, (laughs) heaven not to make things more difficult for you, but maybe it's like there's an interesting conversation to be had with those who have come before. It's like, what are your intentions in doing this? Because you are a mortal who is currently attempting to fix coat that is being unraveled. How does that sound to you guys? So I have 
thought. Mm-hmm. In the terms of how we've structured it, where it's a literal coat, it's like when you're making something and there's a mistake inherently in the item to prove that it's handmade. Ooh. So there are mistakes made in this coat that aren't Agnes's. It's the signature of everyone who's come before. Yes. And I like the idea that in this instance, to protect the one wearing it, they come forward. But once they're gone, the coat is anew. That means there's no ancestry behind it. Agnes won't lose her powers. She'll still be a Selkie. But she is now the first of a new lineage. She's her own. This is a form of freedom. I fucking love that. She's literally like the first of a new line. She does not have the the weight of years and decades and millennia of those previous ancestors. The freedom to choose to be able to, you know, create herself in her own image. Yeah, because one of the issues that's happening right now, the reason why this is such a, a huge deal is because charter magic, which is relatively new in terms of overall magic, is at odds with the fey magic. Now, if you've got rid of all of that previous lineage, all of that back lore... It's almost like new magic. It's like new magic. Which is fascinating, because I can imagine that that has only been done very few times, if at all, with any sort of fey magic. Once. Once before. With Paga. You're fucking right. So, yeah. (laughs) It is a destructive failsafe. Because it destroys all of the previous threads that had bound it before. But in doing so, it makes way for a brand new. A brand new. It's just brand fucking new. I think I want to make an addendum to how Waylon helps Jesse. Okay. okay. Near the end of this process, yes, Jory's there helping. But the literal mantle of Paga and Jesse's connection to Waylon will not, like, mantle Jesse, but... Guide your hand. In your mind's eye, you see a hand form out of the shadow and where you're about to make a mistake, it guides you to the right place. I like that a fucking lot. That's awesome. (laughs) That's so good. I love that. So how is the promise worded? That's a good question. Don't look at me. I'm bad with face stuff. Yeah, what are what are you thinking as as far as that promise? Can you read back to me what uh, Clarice said, please? Ah, for you and I, our lives are one. While you rest, I will become, and when you wake, I will be undone. So mote it be. Put I promise in front of that. Oh yeah, that's perfect. Zoe, I have a question for you. I have an answer for you, Patrick. Unrelated, but while we're in the writer's room. Mm-hmm. Is Paga sealy or unsealy? Or do we not know? You tell me. Yeah, they feel pretty silly to me. But it's interesting because they work in shadow. I did make mention in a community questions answer that they're not bound to that. They are bound to their natures. Paga's nature was to be shadowy. That's interesting. Yeah, I like that idea. There was also that tie to Elioth and the mortal plane. By the way, I, I reread some lore. That shit happened 600 years ago. Jesus fuck. The Elioth, like the knights? Elioth and the knights lived 600 years ago. It's insane. That is insane. Man, this world is is old as shit. All right, so we good? I think that's it, right? I think that tracks very, very well. Yeah. Okay, let's get out of here. 
Let's head out of the writer's room and back into the narrative. The opportunities. Yes. Can I make the fourth strand the Reese opportunity? Can I restructure the opportunity that way? Sure. Is that one raise? Yeah, that's one raise. Okay. The final strand will be, I don't know what it's called, but it's the bit at the very, very end where you pull it and everything just kind of comes together and it doesn't look like there's anything there. Mm. Okay. To make it seamless. Yeah. Okay. As you're doing the backstitch and as you're pulling everything and making everything seamless, you hear in your head, not the mother's voice, not the father's voice, you hear thousands of voices. Pagas included. Pagas included. And like the way Paga was guiding Jesse's hands, they are also guiding Jesse's voice. I, I promise you this, for you, you and us, us our, our lives are one. one. While you rest, we will become. When, when you wake, we shall be undone. So mote it be. And then you tie off the stitch, and you get one more memory, but it does not belong to Agnes. You don't hear the ocean. Or the seagulls. You don't hear anything that ties you to this mortal realm until you start to hear voices. And they're speaking in a language you don't know. And those voices coalesce and come together. Eventually it becomes a song. You are now in a different viewpoint. The viewpoint of something so ancient you can barely comprehend what is happening. But you are in a captain's quarters as something is being written up. You cannot see the faces of these people. They are just blank black shadow, but you see the vague outline of them. There's a large man, a skinnyish man, a woman in red, and on the desk, is a charter being written in blood. And the charter reads, We pirates, servants of Mother Ocean, do abide by the following code, lest we dishonor Mother Ocean and curse our brethren to unluck while upon her waves. This is the first charter. Jesse, your own knowledge comes in on this. This is Reese writing this charter. And as you read the articles, for which there are 14, much like your charter, there is nary a stray word. Everything is to the letter, too precise to be misconstrued as anything else. Blood gets dropped into a bowl, and this charter is dipped in that. And the bowl lights on fire, a deep, deep red crimson fire. And that same fire is seen as Gonzalez is using it as a weapon against the mutineers. And you see from his point of view, you see Jonah, whole human, standing before Gonzalez and saying, It's over. Give it up. You've lost. And Gonzalez says in a very powerful voice, 
it's not I who's lost. And he stands up, pins the charter up against Jonah's chest, takes his sword and drives it through. As this ancient being, you watch in that moment, the threads of fate from Gonzalez, from Jonah, from the dead Valora Villanova down below deck, from every crew member that had died or still lived on that ship that signed that charter in blood, you watch all of those threads coalesce and explode, granting Jonah and Reese their immortality. And by that charter, they are bound, except much like how the charter is now sewn as a decorative detail in Agnes's coat, Reese's fate thread is not bound within the fibers of that charter, but as decorative detail, the filigree within the flourish. Fuck. This first charter is the pirate code. Jesse, you feel the mantle begin to lift from you as this ancient being that allowed you to view this scene releases you and dissipates into the aether, never to be seen or known again. And you are returned to reality as though waking from a dream. Jari, thank you for your help. He kind of like steps back from the coat and stands there for a little bit. And then he looks up at you. It's a damn fine job you did, Captain. I barely see the... the rip. Thanks, Piglet. You're welcome. And then Jory's knees give way and he collapses to the floor. Jesse crabs under his arm, keeps him from hitting the floor. Jory's passed the fuck out. He's fainted. The gravity of the situation has finally hit him. The amount of power that you were just dealing with had manifested in the room for a little while. As you look around, there is a thin layer of dew on all of your belongings. He picks him back up. He's just going to carry him in his arms over to his bed. And he's going to take off his nasty ass boots. <laughs> I'm going to have to clean the sheets later anyway, because this is nasty, but no boots on the bed. Jory's already covered in soot, so. Mm, of course, always. Always. As he's got the coat folded up, goes to leave and he stops. And he turns around and looks to the chest at the foot of his bed and walks over to it. Places Agnes's coat back on the table. Pulls a key ring from his belt, unlocks it, and opens it up. And he shifts some things around, clothes, other personal effects. But at the very bottom of the chest, he just makes sure that Maeve's blood is still there. Covers it back up, closes it, locks it. <sighs> Takes a deep breath, grabs the coat, and heads back to Agnes. Now Agnes, she was sat on the floor... She still sat on the floor. She hasn't moved much from there. She is holding her arms around her chest and has burrowed her head so deeply into her arms that all you can see is just her hair. While she hasn't curled her legs up entirely to her chest, they are as close as they can be. She doesn't appear to be even breathing. And he squats down in front of her. Could have been faster, but Jari was in my ear. I hope it suits you. Agnes raises her head out of her burrow, and she looks awful. She looks sicker than sick, weaker than weak, paler than death. She was pale before, as a Highland marcher is, but 
God. If she were any more paler, she might be translucent. And he just pushes it out towards her. And she uncurls her arms. And she doesn't really have the strength to take it from you. He puts it in her hands. And they fall with the weight of it. And his hands are under hers immediately. That connection happens. You hear all of those voices again, just very briefly. And they all say the same thing. They all say, it's all right now. And then they fade. Not just fade out of hearing, fade out of existence, out of the coat, out of the power. And the coat shimmers and becomes colorless. Not gray, colorless. There's no spots, there's no fur, there's no nothing. It's just a blank template of a coat. And Magnus looks up at you with puzzlement and bewilderment and confusion. It's so much cleaner. I had some help. And her jaw opens and closes multiple times as she's trying to form words, but they're just not coming for her. Do you want to put it on? Eventually she nods. Come on, stand up. And stands up. And he takes it, holds it up for her so that it doesn't leave her grasp. Camera watches as the arm goes through and there's static electricity. As every fiber goes over her skin, there's just a spark of magic. The hair on it ripples like the waves. So all the way down the wrist. Yes. Oh, that's such a beautiful image. And then her hand comes out and she flexes it. And then the other arm pulls through and she flexes it. And it's not yet on her shoulders. She still has to do that motion of actually putting the coat on. And when she does, it does that flourish. There's a wave of energy that just goes from the shoulders down the lower back to the edge of the coat. And it flares out as the power flows through it. And what does it look like now? I think the color of it now is representative of the deep ocean. I think it's a dark sea foam green, but it's translucent. So as it moves, it's shades of blue and green and purple. Love it. I like that a lot. I think there are spots on it, but I think those spots are just separate, different, holographic, shimmery, pearlescent. Yeah, no, that's perfect. And it smells fresh leaves, seawater. As Agnes steps forward to look at it. It fits her perfectly, of course, and turns around. Jesse, you notice that all along the back of the coat, along that main seam there, where it splits down the middle, is a vine. And every once in a while, there's a white rose from that vine. And the detail goes all the way down the arms. And the cuffs are this brilliant, unstained white. Kind of like the sea foam curls at the edges of waves. And Agnes is standing there, whole again. And she turns around and looks at you. How's it look? Like it's supposed to. And for the first time ever on camera, ever before you, Agnes smiles. Agnes walks up to you and opens out her arms. Steps forward and embraces her. And she hugs you back. Thank you. I'm sorry. I forgive you. 
You forget how strong Agnes is, but it is the most powerful embrace in more than one sense. And she doesn't let go until you do. The moment is long. It's palpable. And he doesn't want to let go because of what he knows is possible with his connection to Jonah and Waylon's connection to Mad Maeve. And he just knows and he understands that can't protect everybody from everything all the time. And he gives up that reservation. And he thinks he knows exactly what he has to do. He doesn't want to do it. Because of that connection that you share with Agnes, now you feel her nod. And as you let go, she holds on to your hand, the right one, and squeezes it once. I know, but I'll be with you. We all will. Is that a promise? Magnus looks you in the eyes. A promise? I? Jory's worried sick about you. I better make sure he's alright. <sighs> what? He's, uh, he's unconscious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, that boy. And the camera fades on that as both Jesse and Agnes share a laugh together. And we will pick up next time, starting with Wayland. Fuck yeah. Good shit, dude. I'm very proud of you. I wish Wayland were there so that Jelly could give him a hug right now. <laughs> I know. He's like, man, I think he's my best friend right about now. Sucks. I love you so much, buddy. I love you too, pal. I love everything about this game and the characters that we've created, and it means so goddamn much to me. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Oh, thanks. I'm taking a hero point for Explorer because I feel like nobody has ever seen that happen. You are absolutely 100,000% correct. Ain't nobody, not nobody, not know how, seen that happen. Now, friends, I know what you're thinking. There's no cliffhanger. You'd be correct. There is another episode releasing immediately after this one. But before that, we're going to take a quick break, empty what we have to empty, refill what we have to refill. I drank a lot of tea, so I'll be right back. <laughs>